Romans 8, chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, if you're new to the faith, it's in the New Testament, sixth book of the New Testament. Um, I hope you didn't come this morning to hear me. Um, you should not give a rip what I think about anything in particular. Um, we should care what God weighs in on the subject. And so this morning, I hope you've come to hear from the Lord and I hope that's what we will hear. And so before we go any further, let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are going to look into your holy word, which is like a sword, a sharp, two-edged sword, piercing to divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And I ask that you would make it a life-giving, surgical sword. Not a killing word of soul for us, but a killing of our sin. And grant that it would be met with faith. Not unbelief in this room. Not a rebellious people like the Israelites who wandered through the desert who could not listen to you. But grant that it would be met with faith this morning. Grant that there would be an understanding of what the word says. And I pray that I would be balanced in my seriousness, in my intensity, that you would get the credit and the glory for what you do through your, wor your word. And so, Lord, in the furtherance of this message, we lay it all aside. We lay our tired, droggy bodies who've gotten used to an extra hour of sleep. We lay all that aside, and we pray we can hear from you this morning. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start there. Um, last week, Pastor Mike spoke on the transformation of people, humans, as we come to faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Everybody tracking with me there? And so he, when he asked me uh, Monday or Tuesday of this week, he was going to hurriedly go out of town what I, what I preach, and I didn't have to follow along, but I... This is exactly what God has been laying on my heart for the last two or three weeks. As you know, I'm helping Tim grow up in the faith. He's helping me grow up in the faith. If you're not discipling someone, you should be. You will grow as much as they do, I promise you. So as this new creation comes to being, as we come to know Christ, I want to ask some questions this morning. What happens in the new believer? How does transformation happen? And I'm not going to give you any practical tips. Like if you will go study this and read this and pray, I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm actually just going to walk through a couple passages of Scripture to show you that a new believer should have one skill set. And that skill set is you should hate sin. You must hate sin. You must learn to hate sin. And so if you're going to be the type of Christian who gets up when knocked down, and instead of planning revenge on people, you plan fresh strategies of love. And instead of questioning God all the time, you submit to his wise and good and sovereign plan. And instead of whining and complaining, which scripture says is a sin, you rejoice in tribulation. You will have to learn to kill the sins of self-pity and pride and arrogance and grudge holding and loving the praise of man. In other words, Christians who joyfully press on in some great cause of love and justice don't come out of nowhere. They come out of the fiery furnace. They've, they've battled 
They've been in a war. They've learned to fight sin in their own lives. So the skill set, I'm asking you, you come away today, you learn to kill sin. Primarily your sin. Primarily my sin. So you husbands and wives, you can go ahead and nudge your husband and say, this is about you, not me. Meaning you should say that to you then. This is about me, not you. You've got to learn to kill your own sin. I'm very good at picking out my wife's sin. I'm a master slaughter at that. I can find that with no problem. But Paul seems to say it's your problem. You've got to deal with your own sin. Not primarily others, but yours. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 8. 12 and 13 are where we're going to focus, but I want to back up just a little context. Verse 9, he's talking to the church in Rome. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Does that sound familiar to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 last week? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, in Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then brothers... Tune in. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul says that we're not to be debt paying slaves of the flesh. And so, if you're wondering this morning, what is the flesh? That is the old rebellious, insubordinate, self-sufficient nature that all of us have. It's the nature when someone tells you something you should do and you don't like it, you just, I don't have to listen to you. And we all do that in our marriages, in our jobs, in ministry. Brethren, we're not, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We owe the flesh nothing this morning. You owe the flesh nothing but enmity and war. Don't dally with your destroyer. Don't be a debtor to your destroyer. Get out of debt to the flesh. Don't pay for your own destruction. You have no debts to him. Some of you this morning are struggling with sin. Sin is in the camp like it was back in Aiken's day. We call that in our culture addictions or chains that hold us down. You're not to be debtors to this flesh. And so hopefully you're asking already, how do we get out of this debt? And in verse 13, he gives the answer. Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so I want to laser focus in this morning. If, if by the spirit you put to death, you must be skilled at killing your own sins. This is a dangerous language here. So let me be clear. This is not about killing other people. This is not about killing your wife's sins. Wrong. Husband's sin. Wrong. Your boss's sin. Wrong. Your neighbor's sin. Wrong. This is me pointing the finger at me and you pointing the finger at you. That's what Paul's talking about here. If by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of your body, you will live. 
Back in the 17th century, there was a great teacher by the name of John Owen. He wrote an 86-page book called The Mortification of Sin in Believers. Mortify means to kill in 17th century English. Today, if we, I doubt any of y'all have used that word this week. But if someone out in public was to say, I feel mortified, what do they mean by that? I feel shame or embarrassed. But Owen wrote a whole book on Romans 8.13. And on page 5 of this book, he wrote these words. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I hope in those words you hear the seriousness of this issue of sin. Until you believe that life is a war, that the stakes are your soul, you'll probably just play at Christianity with no blood earnestness and no vigilance, and no passion and no wartime mindset. If that is where you are this morning, if you came in here this morning and you have just ho-hummed along in the Christian faith, your position is very precarious this morning. The enemy has lulled you into a sleep, into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake. How many Christians live in a peacetime mindset and God in his mercy has you here this morning to set you on a wartime footing? Listen to these words. We, I'm not going to turn to them. I've got them in my notes. Don't, just, I'm going to go quick. Matthew chapter 11 verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it. By force. Do you want to enter the kingdom of heaven this morning? I ask each and every one of us in this room. Do you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Take it violently. But violence against whom or against what? Listen to Jesus' answer. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. Do you want to enter life? Take it violently. We're not playing a game. We don't play church. We don't mouth syllables in church. You cut off your hand or your foot if you must to keep from stumbling. You get violent. It's a picture of the most radical kind of assault on our own sin. Not the sin of others, on our own sin. So yes, you literally probably need to throw the computer out the window if pornography is your issue. You literally need to stop driving over to someone's house if sexual immorality is your issue. If chocolate or alcohol or whatever else is your issue, then you've got to quit doing those things. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to say for the next 40 days, 100 days, I'm not even driving past that. You make warfare on your own sin. And so I want to lay what Jesus just said on top of Romans 8, 13. Lay it on top of it just a minute. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Stop making peace with your eyes, with your ears, and your hands, and your feet. They will betray you. Put to death the deeds of the body. Wake up, believers. If you're coasting, you're settled, the stakes are high. Stop making peace with the members of your body. Ed Welch, in a book called A Banquet in the Grave, said this. There is a mean streak to authentic self-control. 
Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand from ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you're in attack mode. Someone coughs and you're ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. I hear Christians murmuring about their failures. I struggle with this. I've heard that my whole life. I've struggled with this issue for 20 years. I'm like this. God made me this way. Stop murmuring and make war on your sin. So there's a mean, violent streak in the Christian life. It's violence against the impulses in our own selves that would make peace with our own sin. It's a violence against all lust in ourselves and enslaving desires for food or caffeine or sugar or chocolate or alcohol or pornography or money or the praise of men, the approval of others or power or fame. List the sins. It's a violence against the impulses in our own soul toward racism, sluggish indifference toward injustice and our indifference to poverty or abortion. In the entire book of Romans, Satan doesn't show up to the last chapter. Most of us, when we think about spiritual warfare, we think about praying and laying on hands and coming to the altar. I've talked to people that say, I've been down to the altar 23 times and God's never taken that from me. And yes, prayer is important and yes, we're to wage war against Satan. But that's not nearly as important as waging war on our own sin and our own souls. The only foothold Satan has in your life is your flesh and your sin. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason you go to hell is because of your sin. This warfare that we need to fight is vastly more important. My biggest enemy is not Satan. My biggest enemy is Josh. Fallen, fleshly, hostile, Lusting, power-grabbing, fame-loving, crabby. Satan doesn't have near that power. And so verse 13 says, If by the Spirit you kill, you kill your own sin. So if you feel you're mean to others or harsh or rude or nasty all the time, you've not learned to wage war against yourself. 24 hours a week, seven days a week. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I want to ask three questions this morning. And I'm trying to trim this sermon down. I told Mike, I said, this is three sermons in one. You should have gave me three weeks. Three things I hope you're asking from verse 13. First question, what are the deeds of the body that we're to put to death? Is that fair? What are the deeds of the body that we're to put to death? Number two, what does killing them mean? And what's this putting them to death? What does it mean to kill them? Number three, how do you do it by the Spirit? If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, what are the deeds? How do you kill them? What's by the Spirit mean? We all on the same page? Chapter eight obviously has seven chapters before it. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to pick out three verses to highlight the first answer. 
So go back with me. Flip back to Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Romans chapter 6, the Magna Carta of our faith, Romans. One pastor preached on Romans for four years. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So what then are the deeds of the body that we need to kill this morning? They are those deeds that we're about to do when our bodies are instruments of unrighteousness. When your body does a Judas thing and goes over to the other side, everybody, Judas is scary. Everybody knows him. You make war. You cut it off. Back up one verse, Romans 6, 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. When the mortal body is taken captive by sin and made to obey lust, then and there we see the deeds of the body. Your body's craving something. I don't mean physiologically craving chocolate. That can happen. I'm just saying your body's craving sin in the flesh. And so you make war on it and you kill it. We'll talk about how to kill it. And one more verse, Romans 6, 6. I've got to put this verse in here because there's a lot of self-help improvement programs out there on the market. Just walk into any bookstore. Matter of fact, walk into any Christian bookstore. And there's enough preachers out there that tell you, if you do this, this, and this, your life will turn around. And so I want to tell you that there are a lot of people that can go out and sit in the woods on a log or cut themselves or deny food or get up and work out every morning at 6 a.m. thinking that will make them right. Not against exercising. I mean, I really am, but not against exercising. Romans 6, 6. Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. I cite this verse to remind you of the all-important, distinctively Christian truth about killing sin in our body. Namely, in union with Jesus Christ by faith alone, you're already dead to sin and alive to God. And what you're doing when you put to death the deeds of the body is becoming in practice what you already are in Christ. Our old self was crucified. It was nailed on that cross in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Listen carefully. Lean into this next few sentences. When Christ died, we died in him if we're united with him by faith. And we died with him so that we might demonstrate this death by putting to death the deeds of the body. Because we already have the victory, we can succeed in our violence against sin. I probably won't use this next service because it's younger folk. Some. There's a song that we sing. He breaks the power of what? Say, say it louder. Canceled sin. He breaks the power of canceled sin. It's canceled. We can only kill the sin that's already been killed when we were killed in Christ. You're already dead if you're united with Jesus. Christians are dead to sin. You are dead to sin this morning if you're in Christ. What you do when you put to death the deeds of the body is become in practice what you are in Christ. I will say that again because that's the gospel. 
What you do when you put to death the deeds of the body is become in practice what you already are in Christ. This is the gospel. It's not legalism. This is not I have to get it right on my own, God. I hope I'm working it out. You don't approach God like that. You know by faith I am his. I am loved. I am accepted. I am justified. I am in him. I have passed through judgment into eternal life. I have eternal life right now. And the mark of this life that I just described is hatred to sin because you love him so much. And if you hate sin, you get violent with it in your life. And the remnants of what you see in your life look so contradictory to you, so foreign to you, so alien to you, and you make war to the day you die. Does that sound familiar? Paul said that I've kept the faith. I have finished the course. I have fought the good fight. He fought. He woke up every morning when his feet hit the ground and he fought the good fight. Satan will not quit. Your flesh won't quit in this life, but it is dead. We can only kill the sin that's already been killed when we were killed with Jesus. This is Christianity. This is not some moral self-help. Christ is the key. I've died with him, and now by the Spirit, I will make war on my sin. So that's the deeds of the body. We can list them. Any sin that you're about to commit, your body's about... You you only commit sin with your body. Does everybody realize that? You walk over to that person's house. You drive to that store. You click on and click on and click on this image with your hands. You look at the images with your eyes. You tear people apart with your mouth. James says you get that under control. Man, we got a whole different generation of Christians. This week I was doing some analysis of my own life and I saw, I saw sin in my life that it just I could not believe it. I saw an attitude in my life that I got alone in my prayer time and I was like, Lord, this has got to go. I don't want, it looks so foreign to Jesus. And by faith, I walked into that room. I said, Lord, you've got to take this. And I believe your promises. I want to be different than this. Question number two is, what is this putting to death? What is this killing? Everybody good? Question one, what are the deeds of the body? Number two, what is this putting to death? The answer is that you suffocate the sinful deeds of the body. You cut off the lifeline, the blood flow. Deeds of the body come from somewhere. I remember someone when I was younger, years ago, said, all fruit has a root. So I saw something in my life I didn't like, and I was like, there's got to be a root there. Deeds have roots. Sin is deeper than deeds. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 15. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Listen, all this comes out of the heart. Murders, adulteries, fornications, Thefts, lying, slanders, these are all the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile the man. Sinful deeds have a lifeline that must be cut off. Jesus was so baffled by this Pharisaic exaltation of small things and the neglect of the great things. Washing your hands really matters? 
It's what you say around the table that matters. In other words, there's a condition of the heart that gives rise to the deeds of the body. It's a heart issue. We must cut off the hands and gouge out the eyes. And just so we're on the record, in case this is being recording, we don't literally mean we don't gouge out the eyes and cut off the hands. If you do that, you won't have instruments to go do righteousness. Your hands are just nerves and muscles. So what's the bad root of the deeds of the body? Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. So what's the root behind the bad deeds? I want to go, go do some sexual immorality tonight. I've lusted after another woman. That's not my wife. I want to go be with her. So what's the root here? Romans 8, 7. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. The root of the deeds of the body, the root that have to be killed is the flesh that is hostile to God and unwilling and unable to submit to God. I like cocaine more than God. I like chocolate more than God. We, we got a little few less people here today. I like sleeping more than God. I like money more than God. So I'll cheat on my taxes. Which is next month, don't forget. Verse 12, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Flesh is the great enemy here. It's an enemy because it's insubordinate and hostile to God. It doesn't like God. It doesn't want to be told by God what to do. I would rather when I get angry, just go let that person have it. Cuss them out. Do whatever you got to do to let them know that you're in charge. So when that rises up, there's a root there. When I'm tempted to look at pornographic images, there's a root there. I'm, my affections for that must be more than my wife and my God. So to kill the deeds of the body that this enmity produces, you've got to cut the lifeline, pinch the air pipe, stop the blood flow. Deeds must be killed before they happen by severing the root of hostility that rejects God. We don't look at it that way. I know we don't. Just some sleep this morning. Just one little image. It's okay. I can get angry. It won't hurt anything. We don't want to be told by anyone what to do. Question three, how do we do this by the Spirit? It says that. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So real quick, let's get this answer by following three steps. And hopefully this is going to just boom, boom, boom. Romans 8, 5, and 6. Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the flesh. The things of the Spirit. So the first step in answering, how do you do this sin killing by the Spirit? It's you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Did you know your mind's a muscle? You can set it on one thing and hold it there. You can fix it there. You can do it. But for the most part, we're lazy. We just look at temptation and go, oh, well, 
It just, what does everybody say? It just, it just happened. Divorce just happened. But if you're going to put to death by the Spirit, you've got to do more. You've got to direct your mind, your heart, your spiritual focus, namely to the things of the Spirit. Everybody with me? Set your mind. It's a mind. Look, I didn't even count how many times he listed mind in all them verses. We didn't even read them all. At least four or five times. Mind, 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 mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Renew, renew your mind. Disney Channel says follow your heart. Be whatever you want to be. Paul says renew your mind. Set apart Christ as Lord. You can focus this energy. Step two, set your mind on the word of God. Hang on. What are the things of the spirit? It says set your mind on the things of the spirit. That must be some spiritual mumbo jumbo slain in the spirit out here in the floor kind of thing you watch on TV. No, it's none of that. It's none of that. If you're going to rivet your mind and your heart on the things of the Spirit in the hour of temptation so you can kill sin, here's the key verse. It's the only other time the, the, the Greek phrase, thing of things of the Spirit. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Save time, don't turn it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Actually, I shouldn't say don't turn there because then somebody thinks I'm making it up. You can go there, but I'm going. Paul's talking about his own teaching. He's a legitimate apostle. And this is the only other time he speaks like this with this same Greek phrase. And he says, Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. He's claiming to speak as an inspired apostle. Quote, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So here... Paul is clearly saying the things of the Spirit are the words of God spoken by the apostles. The Word of God. Natural man cannot accept them. If you hear today's message and it sounds foolish or silly, likely you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You have no taste buds. There are no living taste buds. Scripture says the word of God is like honey, but your taste buds have been seared. And oh, you should cry out to God. So from this passage, I infer that when Romans 8, 6 says that those who according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, he means that they set their minds on the words of God and the realities that they stand for. These are the things of the Spirit that the natural person rejects. You ever gone to someone, they come to you for a question, you turn to God's Word, and they look at you like you're an idiot. Like, why would I want to hear from God about this? I'm just asking your opinion, hoping you agree with me. They can't sit. They've not set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And this is especially significant as I keep tracking in this word of God mentality. This sword of the spirit is in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17. 
when he says, take up the full armor of God, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And swords are used for what? Killing. Swords are used for killing. And that is what we do by the spirit. You kill the deeds. If you've not gotten anything, wake up. Focus right here. You kill the deeds of the body by the spirit. That is by fixing your mind on the things of the spirit. That is by welcoming and embracing the word of God into your mind and heart. That is by taking the sword of the spirit, which is a deadly sword for sin killing. The word of God releases the spirit of God in your life. The word is the channel to which the spirit moves in power in your life. You can't separate them. I've been to churches where the word is mentioned two or three times in the whole service. There's nothing else but this. I have no opinion on anything but this. Some say, well, is it the word of the spirit who's changing my life? I'd rather just run down to the aisle and just fall over and hopefully everything's fixed. It's the word of God. You've been redeemed. You've been washed by the word. I love the picture of Jesus at the end of Revelation when he returns. He's going to be on a white horse. And he's going to have the word, word of God written on him somewhere. And out of his mouth comes a sword. This is the sword of the spirit. It is the only way I know you kill sin in your life. It's the only way. Oh, I've heard of people that come down the altar and they were, they were addicted to alcohol and it was gone the moment they got up. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I've seen it happen to people. That is not normally God's way of removing sin in your life. Step three. Very practically, what does it mean to bring the power of the Spirit by the Word into vigorous sin-killing action in our lives? Hey, I've been tempted. I'm enslaved by something right now. I'm hearing things I shouldn't hear. I'm seeing things I shouldn't see. I'm doing things I shouldn't do. What do I need to do, Josh? What do I need to do to bring the Spirit into action into my life? And the answer is in Galatians 3.5. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians after they're kind of wanting to walk away from salvation by faith. And he says this, So then, does he, talking about God, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is that the Spirit is supplied to us for the miraculously mighty killing of sin, not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. This morning inside of your heart, you're either hearing this with faith or you're not. That's the only option. You're either hearing this with faith. To emphasize that what faith hears and receives and embraces is something heard, namely the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which kills sin. That's what hearing with faith means. You've got to embrace the gospel when the word of God is heard in a setting like this, on a radio, in a book, whatever the channel, and is believed, 
the Spirit of God begins to move with vigorous sin-killing action in your life. In other words, the connection between the Holy Spirit and you is the Word of God and faith. They are like a socket and a plug. When you plug your faith in to the socket of God's Word, the Spirit begins to flow in your life. And when He flows, He kills sin. That's just what He does. So in closing, I want to answer two questions. I'll just answer one. And one is kind of what I've already alluded to. Why can't I just pray for God to deliver me from sin? I struggle with this addiction. I struggle with getting angry. I struggle with complaining and grumbling all the time. I struggle with worry. I struggle with fear. See, the problem is in the church, we don't call those sins. God does. Well, I don't mean I really worry. I just, I just lose sleep over what's going to happen after that diagnosis next week. You can rename whatever you want to. Still doesn't change it in God's mind. The reason that Jesus doesn't usually answer prayers to remove the sin from us is because Jesus wants all the glory. If God simply killed sin when we ask him without making our hearing and believing the promises of God, Jesus wouldn't get the glory. The work of the Spirit in killing our sin is to do it in a way that gives glory to Jesus. And that happens when we hear the gospel. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God. In other words... Jesus paid for every promise for those who trust him. So every promise you read in here and believe in your heart gives glory to Jesus. If we merely pray and ask God to kill our sin without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ would not be honored. He wants you to believe the promises that he bought on the cross. So when you plug your faith into the word of God, the, the spirit begins to kill your sin in your life. And so God means for his son to be magnified in justification and in our sanctification. He wants you to hear the Christ-exalting, blood-bought promises of God and believe every single one of them. So what are the sins in your life? What are they? It's very quiet in here. What are the sins in your life? Have you thought about that this week, this month? Anger, despair, self-pity, impatience, irritability, bitterness. You've been wrong three years ago and you're still thinking about it. Fear. When fear says, what if this happens after so-and-so is diagnosed with this? You come to the table with faith and you read in God's word. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 When worry comes to your life by faith, you plug your faith into God's word 
in the promise of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. You say, well, what good is that going to do? I don't know. I just know that's how the Spirit works when you believe the promises of God. I used to see those little books in Walmart when I was growing up. 101,000 promises in God's Word for every problem you face. Y'all have all seen them, right? You've all got one. I used to think, wow, that's kind of weird. Just, there's power in plugging faith into believing the promises of God. So this morning, whatever your sin, learn from the Apostle Paul. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Kill sin by the Spirit. Glorify Jesus by taking the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. The promises of God. Purchased by His blood and set your mind on them. Bank on them. Be satisfied by them. And the power of sin will be broken in your life. It's a promise. It's a promise. Sin cannot and will not have dominion over you. May Jesus Christ be magnified in your body. Let's stand and pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I am bent on proclaiming your truth and locking in, engaging, focusing, channeling, not channeling, some weird channeling, but focusing all my, setting my mind on the things of the Spirit. Lord, when I'm anxious about what may happen, when I'm anxious about a tax bill, when I'm anxious about a doctor's bill, when I'm anxious about whatever may come, I read that you tell us that you will supply all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And that lifts me. And the sin of worry and the sin of fear is gone. It's gone. Because you paid for it on the cross. And so Lord, as we leave this place, don't let us leave very flippantly with some lackadaisical attitude towards sin. Let, us, let, let that sin Concepts settle in a minute. Let's, let's hone in on what the sins may be in our life. And going forward from the day on, we will be like lasered, sharp, sword-fighting Christians who can find the sin in our lives and sever the root by focusing on the promises of God and allowing the Spirit of God to work in our life. That's what I pray over these people, Lord. Banish Satan from this place, from these minds that are in here. He has covered some people like dark, wet blankets over their eyes. I pray that you would just banish him from our minds. Lord, we want to leave this place knowing that you have bought every promise in Scripture. You've paid for it. It's a done deal. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. Thomas doubted when he saw you until he saw his, your hands and he saw your feet and the, and the holes. And then he said, I believe. And Jesus said, 
Lord, you said to him, blessed are those who believe that haven't seen. That's us. We're more more blessed than Thomas because we've believed and we haven't seen you. So, Lord, make our faith strong. Make our faith strong that we believe in you and your promises. Lord, we commit the remainder of the day to you. Whatever we do, may it bring glory and honor to Jesus, your son. We ask all this in his most beautiful name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful day. And as Mike says, go in peace.